Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. If the audio sounds a little different, it's because I'm testing a different platform just to do the recording part of it. However, I expect that I should be able to master it and get end up with the same result. So I'm literally going to do an end-to-end result and see if it fits into my existing strategy for mastering podcasts. And if I like the quality, I'll keep it. There's some ups and downs to this, but I think it's necessary in order to minimize how much time it takes to produce episodes. With that, I want to give some internal news. First, foremost, I'll be adjusting the cadence for basic cryptonomics. And there's two reasons. One, fortunately, the amount of crazy news that's been happening has dwindled ever slightly, which makes me happy. But two, I want to make it lockstep with everything else that I'm doing. Content, and of course, the quality of the content should still be par with what you've expected thus far. Simply, the cadence would decrease, and my current target would be two times a week for releases, and that'll be lockstep with the expected guest cadence on the show. Doesn't mean that I'll have a guest every episode. It just means that I need to centralize how frequently I record in accordance to how I'm scheduling the guests. There may or may not be guests. It depends on, again, they're wanting to smoke. So that's the only internal change that would happen. Nothing would change as far as the audio or the quality or anything else. Just the frequency would decrease roughly to every other. The exception to that would be if there's something of significance I think is worth covering as an ad hoc or an out of cycle. So if you can think about it, the ad hoc out of cycle is something I believe is worth talking about now. And I would just publish it as is. It would not need to wait for the daily episode. So it could be that the daily happens on a Tuesday, but there's an out of cycle that you get on a Wednesday, but it only talks about the one topic, if that makes any sense. I think that's going to be a little bit more sustainable long-term while I figure out the guests and get everything all sorted. So that's it for the internal news. There hasn't been a lot of external news, which makes me very happy. I'm always happy when I don't have to talk about the external news because a lot of it is, there's a lot of down things. There's a lot of price movements that are not positive. And most of this is stuff you already know that Bitcoin and Ethereum are once again going down. And of course it affects all of the tokens that are out there. And there's no real big, there's no big explanation as to why they're down again and why they were off the run. But again, if you've listened to my episodes, you've heard me say that I felt that Bitcoin in particular was going to plateau. And that's because it's hard for getting certain resistance points, especially with Bitcoin. But I do think that it's going to get to the point where it's going to climb again. We just don't know when that's going to happen. It's that same uncertainty principle. We don't know when that's going to happen. But we remain bullish generally around Bitcoin because we, as we said, many governments are getting into it. That's going to create a bullish sentiment overall. We see that people in government, like individuals in government, they're stacking bags and they're buying into it. And there is this push to try to get the price to go up. We see that on the exchanges. So the sentiment is strong. That's that's reassuring. I wouldn't necessarily worry about it from a long-term perspective. It seems like it's just in the short-term principle. And I think this is an opportunity, honestly, for many tokens to rethink how they're pegged. And this, I mean, a lot of tokens are just pegged to cryptos that are inherently volatile or will be increasingly volatile rather than stable coins. Stable coins They're not directly pegged to volatile assets, which means that you can create some stability in the price movements when you have your crypto pegged to the stable coins. The problem with that is, of course, you have to have a one-to-one against the fiat. 
which many of them don't have or don't want to have. So they peg against these other cryptos because it doesn't require that they have, for example, the exact number of, you know, millions, millions, billions, billions of stable coin necessary to support that when you could have less Bitcoin, for example, to support that. And then, of course, on the exchanges, when you're trading, the trading pair for Bitcoin is always the most popular because Bitcoin has the highest volume and velocity of every crypto that's out there. Ethereum, I think, is just a byproduct. It's it's being affected because of Bitcoin and the, I think the, the pair of Bitcoin to Ethereum, I think, is affecting it negatively because as people buy and sell on the Bitcoin side, it lessens availability on that liquidity pair. Is my theory? It's only a theory because I'm not in front of these people. However, the sentiment remains bullish from what I see overall. I don't see that people are running away from it. I don't see that people are lessening their exposure to it. It just seems like it's a, a blip. Some on the more popular side are estimating that this will happen for a couple of days, and we don't know exactly when it's going to get back to the regular momentum. Is it going to slide ever lower? May, remains to be seen because it's it's having a very hard time watching the resist getting to the resistance and watching for those points to go up. It's just difficult, and nobody has a clear picture as to why. I think the best recommendation I might make for anybody listening is diversity of portfolio. This is a good example of why diversity of portfolio is very important. Diversity of portfolio doesn't just span to cryptocurrency. It spans to the larger market and stocks. Well, stocks are just as affected. They're having their down points as well. And so you kind of have to broaden further than you might think. This is why I've said, you know, have like 20 minimum different things that you're bought into. And then just watch the movement of each one. Get rid of the ones that aren't sustainable performance. Like you might have ones that go on red for a month. Okay, but if it's if it's truly, if it's just a volatile situation, that's different. You should see some green. If it's consistently red, it might be time to cut your losses because there may be something that you're not aware of underlying to the cryptocurrency. So just be thinking about how do you diversify your portfolio more than you may have to help insulate because your basis should not change. We're going to have some shifts, but you should be able to insulate it somewhat with a mix of the volatile assets, whether it's high volatility or low, as well as stable coins, which don't shift that much. And then many people will, they'll stockpile the stable coin to have more of that than anything else. And there's risks to that as well, but that's a good strategy to mitigate some of the volatility that's going on. On the crypto side and kind of revisiting the crypto side, you know, I'm going to put this here and it's going to sound like a rant and that's okay because I think it's important that I talk about it because most don't recognize I've been in, I've said it on past episodes, but I'll repeat it. You know, I've been an investor on Para Inu, now known Para Token, pretty much since it launched. And I was, I'm highly praised Para Token because the, the model is solid and I've reached out and I've tried to help them and they've not responded. And of course I'm banned for their telegram because they have triggered admins, but I was looking at, you know, gaming Shiba and Cheddar and all these other ones. And I see so many similar tokenomics in many of these projects and then just their communities crap. And arguably I think para Inu or para token, I think their problem isn't necessarily a crap community. I think that they just are in over their heads and they don't really know how to manage the project. Because if you look at the price movement of this dude, it's declined significantly. And anybody who's bought in early, there's some people that sold for profit and they still have kind of the hardcores that are kind of holding the line as they might say in the military. But 
ultimately perineum is not performed and it it's struggling to maintain even even the lowest resistance levels and it it speaks to a bigger problem in cryptocurrency and i want to just put this message here for anybody listening that happens to be even in part associated with a cryptocurrency from a development perspective the truth is this everybody knows that managing cryptocurrency is not easy. Everybody knows it's a lot of hard work. Everybody knows that it's a bit of a pain. Everybody knows these things. I think where we lose sight of the big picture is, as I've mentioned, many of the cryptocurrencies refuse to ask for help when they clearly need it. When I say clearly need it, I'm talking about situations where it's blatantly obvious that you're in over your heads. We see this time and again, and it's always the, the strongest projects up front. Like we have projects that got strong over time. They took a while. They had version one and version two and version three, and then they finally get it right. Or ones that just sucked straight out of the gate, and then they figured it out later. Or ones that, you know, they were kind of good, but not really good. And then they refined the tokenomics, and now they're good. There's this broad spectrum of all this. But there's all these projects where they start, and they just seem to have everything perfect as far as tokenomics. And then because of the people behind the project, it's a screw up. It's a blatant screw up. And it's frustrating because you don't know why, why is it that we get this point where it's just good projects are led by ignorant or stupid or whatever people or people that are just too arrogant to accept help from the right areas. And when you see, as I talked about with fiduciary irresponsibility as a management company or organization, around one of these token projects, when you see that the price is slipping, to me, you have a responsibility to do something about it. Whether that means getting rid of people and getting better people, whether that means reaching out for help, whatever it is, you got to do something. Like I would expect that there's some action taken. And I don't mean hype. I don't mean unrealistic things. I don't mean sprawl. I don't mean that you extend yourself beyond what you know your capacity is. Like you have to be within your means, stay within your lane. But I think when you start, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. So if you're constantly going to the spin and the price continues to go down and the tokens that I'm specifically targeting both have almost identical tokenomics to each other and yet they're both going down. At some point you have to start not questioning the investors, but questioning the token and questioning how the devs are managing the token because it's not necessarily about the contract. It's about what you're doing. If all you're doing these days, which this is what I'm seeing from Satama. This is what I'm seeing from Perry Inu. This is what I'm seeing from Cheems. This is what I'm seeing from a lot of these. If all you're doing is basically creating pump and dump scenarios, I don't think you, I think you've lost the plot. Many of these tokens should arguably by now be equal in success in terms of holder count to ship. And people are like, that's crazy because SHIB was around for almost two years. Yes, but the difference is that SHIB, as I said, doesn't have anywhere close to the tokenomics that SHIB, SHIB lacks a lot. SHIB doesn't do anything. SHIB is a basic thing. SHIB is just there. And it got hype because of news and media coverage. But when you look at tokenomics that are popular, and they are popular with a lot of people, you have to start asking the question, how can you have such popular tokenomics and yet still not have a successful project on your hands? How is it possible that you're doing this and yet you still can't seem to get over that hurdle or if you do get there, you can't keep it there? 
I'll tell you, it's an easy answer. It's because they're not able to continually appeal to the casual traders in a way that causes them to spread the word properly. And so what happens? They'll rely on the Jacob Gaines of the world to help them shill the product, or they'll go to other shillers, or they'll ask Del Crypto to hold an AMA because they believe, and rightfully so, they believe that these names are going to get them the exposure that they need. I understand that, but it hasn't worked. Para Inu has done these things, and it's still going down. Satama has done these things, and it's still going down. These two in particular, I argue, have the strongest tokenomics of any project I've seen outside of Parabolic, and yet they're going down. So at what point do we start saying, you know what, maybe what we've done doesn't work? Maybe what we thought we should do isn't the right answer anymore. Maybe we need to adjust strategy. Maybe we need to go a different way. Maybe there's something we can do better. And maybe we need to take a different approach. And maybe we need to come down off the high horse and assume that we just don't know what we're doing and do an outreach to try to get some help so we can realign this ship and move it forward. And so it got me thinking. Because we know that it's just basically incompetent and or arrogant, could be both, could be one or the other, devs behind the project. And we know that they're, they tend to abuse these projects, these ones that they're standouts. They should be successful. And they don't reach out for help. And they don't go to the platforms that can possibly help them. Where does that leave us as a crypto community? Well, it leaves us, you know, as we kind of joked with Mr. Sagala, it leaves us in a position where it's basically like, you know, the horse races or gambling. That's really what it is. That's where we're at now. We're gambling with the stuff. And it's, it's a race. Most people are okay with it. I'm okay with it. My concern is when the game is rigged because we have devs that don't know what they're doing. And when I say don't know what they're doing, I'm not meaning that they don't do anything. I'm talking about when they don't reach out for help, when they clearly out of their element, when they're clearly, it's not that you have a great project and it's just not working. That's different than when you're clearly doing things that are not successful. I'm talking you actively go after things you know are destined for failure. There are tokens out there, green charts, a good example. Green charts, whole messaging and marketing has been consistent from day one that their mechanics would keep the chart green. However, people have figured out how to basically exploit it to make sure it's not green and it's subject to the whims of the, you know, the, the Bitcoins and the Ethereums of the world. So right there, it's harmed their marketing strategy, but it's not their fault. Right. So I'm not telling you that, okay, green charts are failure because their charts, not green. I'm saying that their marketing, what they thought was a good idea at the time made assumptions around the state of the industry and the business that were not sustainable in points that it, the industry wide is down. They might come back. If I were talking to them, they won't talk to me, but they were, they might come back and say, well, there's not really much we could have done about that because it's industry. We have no control over it. I agree with you. My point is that's why your messaging and your marketing shouldn't make those kinds of lofty assumptions. Because when you do that, your low level casual traders, what I describe as the FOMO crowd, all they see is you told me it's green. You told me it's going to stay green. Right now it's not green. I'm selling this dude because I'm, I don't want to lose any money. So marketing would have had to have been different. Your messaging had to be clearer. 
And we might feel like we shouldn't have to do that, but you know you have to do it because we see it over and over again now that people are much more sketchy about investments. They don't believe in investments, even ETH fan token. As much hype as that one got, has not been able to sustain the same level of growth it had when it first launched, despite the fact it does exactly what they tell you it would do. You get the ETH rewards, that works. They actually appear to be flowing faster, which they said they were going to do. So they committed to that and they, they delivered. And its price movement was great when it started, but it has not been able to sustain that same level of success that they initially had, where it was doubling and tripling, stepping over itself with growth. Well, what goes wrong? With ETH fan token, it was the need to do a migration in the first place. And the fact that it suffered initially, and that was because primarily, from my angle, the rewards weren't delivered fast enough. So you have this great thing, but it's not as positioned. If you listen to past episodes, I said, I struggle with why we can't just do the same type of frequency of reflections as with any other reflection. And I know that there's, within the contract, there's limitations to it. Doing a reflection is a different type of function than doing the kind of buy, you know, the kind of buy that's necessary to do these creative types of reflections. And so you can't use the same frequency because of the way it works. And of course, there's other factors. We got it. The point is, is that your whole sales pitch was around the love of Ethereum. And we expect that there's a frequency to getting that Ethereum. And when it's down, the expectation doesn't change. The model assumes that volume is up and the model assumes that volume continues to grow. That's its downfall. So you can't rely on it because yeah, you get ETH, but only when everybody else is trading it. But what happens when people aren't trading it? And in this case, this isn't even an industry thing. It's just that the newness is worn off. Now it's still trading pretty decent strong, but it's fluctuating pretty rapidly. We're not seeing the same sustained levels of growth, as I've said, is usually not seen in cryptocurrencies. So then we flip over to the one that's got the most controversy around it for whatever reason, Liberal Financial. Liberal Financial is down. It dropped beneath the penny. Why did it drop beneath the penny? For the same reason I said on social media, which was at the moment it hit a penny, you were going to get some major sell-offs. We, you know, if you're watching and you know the flow of investors, you know that's going to happen because people would have invested to the point that they become a millionaire and they sell out and they're done. Their goal was met. Most traders, especially the FOMO crowd, they're not the ones that take profit on a regular basis and then reinvest it in other projects or reinvest it back into this one. That's not the way they work. They're not thinking passive income because passive income has never been on the strong level of people's minds. It's always been this passive thing. It's always been this resistance to it. And we have never got past that. Moving on, I want to put a quick note out about Lily Finance. It's been chatted about on social media. And I don't think that people recognize, there's a lot of mixed information. And I don't think people recognize kind of what it means when they separated from Satama and the Cytomask plan and the future state for it. And I want to put some, a little bit more data. What I've been told is that apparently, uh, this hasn't been proven, but apparently there was a new contract spun up. It's no longer the original contract that was there. They have delegated specific amount of tokens to the marketing and development wallet that was significantly higher than initially planned. And this is getting a lot of controversy on online circles because they feel like they're, quote, stealing from the children. There was a social media back and forth with apparently the mother 
of the daughter that inspired this thing saying, you know, my daughter's healthy and she doesn't need this money and he's just taking people's money. And I'm not in, I'm not confirming or denying anything within the family. I have no stake. I'm not there in that room, but I will say this when the Lily messaging first came out, there never was in any of that messaging that I saw anything that said, I'm collecting this money for my kid. What he said was my kid went through this. My kid got out because we had access to certain things. We, we stumbled across these things and we were able to get the aid we needed. Now what we want to do is we want to increase access to this aid for other kids because they lack this care. Well, that's a different thing. And so if it's true, I can't say it is or isn't, but the point is if it's true what he's saying, then he's being misrepresented in what he said. He never said, I'm collecting money for my kid. He never said that in any of the messaging I saw. If somebody's got that, share it. I want smoke. But from what I saw, he never said it's for my kid. He said, my kid got through this, but it was hard for us to find organizations that would take care of her just because there was a lack of information and a lack of awareness. So the whole plan behind Lilly Finance and the whole reason that they were founding this thing was to increase awareness as well as provide compensation for them to provide the aid, meaning that we took the learning from this experience and we're going to parlay it into more education and more opportunities so that other kids don't have to go through this like we did. That was always the messaging I took from what was on the Lily site, and I think that's even there now. So at some point, this got translated to, you know, this guy's a grifter. He's getting money for his kid when his kid doesn't need it because his kid's healthy. And look, his wife said that and I got, and the wife has custody. I don't, none of this matters, whether it's true or not irrelevant. None of it matters because from everything I read, there was never anything talking about, we want this money for my kid. That was never part of it. If we accept what I'm saying, which is that the messaging never talked about his kid. And it was always about Lily finance, bringing more awareness to these organizations and to the children that need those services, then you can justify why the marketing wallet needs to be where it is because in order for them to do that outreach, there's their spend significant levels of spend. Okay. I think as long as there's clear audit trail and as long as there's clear documentation, like one thing I think pairing you or pair token did and they stopped, but they were doing was the clear list of all the expenses that you could easily review, review on the site. Do something like that to where you know all the expenses you can cross-reference against blockchain. I think something like that, that allays it because who cares? Who cares that they're collecting that type of a wallet? But to say that they're stealing from children, I, I think that's extreme. And you don't have any evidence that they're doing it, plus it hasn't launched yet. And then some people said, well, once they launch, it's just going to be a pump and dump. We, we know that the graph is going to spike and it's going to drop. And the reason for this is because early people that get in early and they put like $20 in there and the thing jumps as it's going to jump there, they know how to time it to where they take the profit and then they take a dash. It's something I considered doing simply because Perry Inu hasn't performed. And so because it hasn't performed at some point, I have to kind of cut my losses. I still remain bullish on Perry token, but at this point it's not performing. So I have to make that decision of whether that makes sense. Lily is supposed to launch, I believe it's at 5 p.m. Pacific today on Uniswap. And that means they're going to be attacked by bots, like I said. And so they're there and there's going to be the early snipes. There's going to be people that jump in it because of hype. There's going to be people that jump in it to take profit. We know all of that. But I just think it's inappropriate to claim for whatever reason to claim that that 
their intentions are nefarious just because the marketing wall increased. Like you have to kind of think about what does it mean since you're not paired with Satama and Satama is not going to share in the marketing expenses from a business perspective, it would make sense. And I would, I would be shocked if it didn't increase, frankly, because you're separated from that and you're doing, you're going on your own. Now, Brad, who's apparently over Lily has had some controversy, just like Russ has had controversy. So that we don't know that I'm not saying it is or isn't a scam. I'm not in a position to say, I'm saying we don't know yet till the dang thing launches. And I think we need to give them the benefit of the doubt, frankly, my opinion. Speaking of controversies, one thing came to light and it's been not been vetted or proven. I do research now, but I haven't proven it. Everybody knows that Russ ultimately was called up on fraud. We know he has a criminal record, just like with the Willie D situation. What's not known, alleged, but not known, not proven. Apparently, Russ was in charge of another cryptocurrency at some point in the past. And this cryptocurrency was considered a rug pull. Whether it was a rug pull or not is debatable. Apparently, Russ, of course, the so-called chief operating officer of Satama LLC and the face and the brand of Satama, apparently what I'm told is that he's in some way involved with Hoge Finance. Hoge Finance is a completely different token, and there's no, far as I can tell, no direct intersection between Hoge and Satama. I don't have any proof that he's associated with Hoge. It's not a problem necessarily that he's associated with Hoge, other than to say Hoge has had some major, major problems with its uh, price movement recently. It started very strong and then just started to taper off over time. Well, allegedly, again, I have no evidence, but allegedly, Russ is supposedly the marketing, he's in marketing for Hoge Finance. So one would think that the person that's in charge of marketing would have failed if they're not able to get the token to a level of success that would appear to be a failure of marketing. Of course, this is assuming that what we're reading that Russ is involved with Hoge is accurate, number one. And number two, that if he's involved, that he's actually part of the marketing of the thing. No evidence whatsoever. It's something you might want to look at if you're in Satama and you do have that concern for whatever reason, or you just want to have the transparency because they won't give it to you. Take a look and see if there's something to it. Again, I do plan to do a little bit more research just because I'm curious because it does, again, it goes back to sprawl. If you're stretched too thin, that's why there's not a focus. That's why things are not getting done timely and correctly. If you're not focused on what you need to focus on and just heads down, get stuff done, it doesn't bode well for any individual project. You want to see that they're taking the time to dedicate themselves to ideally one token, get it to a level of success. I'm talking arguable success, not debatable success. There's a difference. Arguable success is that it's success that we can argue the level of success, but the success itself is not in dispute. Debatable success is whether we debate that it ever hit a level of success in the first place. And if you didn't sustain it, could we define it as success or just a temporary blip? So I'm not saying that it is or isn't a thing. I'm not saying it's good or bad. Otherwise, I'm simply saying I think from transparency, people should be entitled to know the right, you know, what's going on with their project and who's in charge of their project and how things go. So that's one thing, Santama. I'm not going to talk about it further other than this came to attention. I have no evidence of it, but I share it because people might want to know and might want to look for themselves. and. See how it bodes because Hoge's price movement being down correlates with Satama's price movement being down. And of course, the on social media, I shared that there were some 
dumps and somebody came back and said that's a dev wallet so we work to see if there's anything to it and that's all research that's all we do as we gear up for some guests um, we got some interviews this weekend let's for this episode let's do some informational educational pieces this is going to be a slight bit advanced but hopefully it simplifies some stuff for you my goal is not to give you exact answers my goal is to simply introduce you to a thing that you probably have heard of but don't have necessarily the nuts and bolts around it and try to dumb it down into a form that you can digest a little bit better than what's out there you've probably heard around terms like margin margin trading and if you go into say kucoin kucoin they kind of push it in your face they, they kind of want you to do it most of the exchanges want you to do it they want you to trade margin, but you're like, well, I see it's there and it, you know, the spot trading, the regular trading meets my needs and I, I struggle with the margin. Well, I'll do my best to simplify it. And for the naysayers out there, this, the goal is not to be perfectly scientific. The goal is to dumb it down. So my explanation is designed to be the ELF five, AKA explain it like I'm five basic explanation of what's going on not the perfect definition of scientific said. So when you're, when you think about margins, you have collateral, your collateral might be your car. Your collateral might be money in your wallet. Your collateral might be your computer. You have something of value, which is essentially collateral or could be collateral. It's something of value. When you want to do margin trading, what you're essentially saying is that in exchange for my collateral, I want to take what's effectively a loan. I want to borrow X. X might be money. X might be stock. X might be cryptocurrency. When you do that, you can trade it. It doesn't really have true value at that point. You're basically just borrowing money. So if you were to take out, as an example, I'll, use, I'll pick on KuCoin because they're, again, they push it in your face. In KuCoin, when you go in and you say, I want to do margin, they'll put you through the terms and let you know. There's a risk to this, and it is a risk. And some of the information is misleading that they tell you, but it's because they're very nervous. They want you to do it, but they're nervous about people doing it wrong. And this goes back to a story I told in a much older episode about the, the little idiot kid that basically, you know, he did a bunch of options trading on Robinhood when it went live for GameStop, and he had an unrealized loss of like $600,000. He didn't really lose that much money. He thought he did because he misread the interface and then he committed suicide. So they don't want you to do that. They want you to feel like, no, I'm comfortable. I know what I'm doing. And they don't really block you. They just, they want you to understand the terms. Go ahead the terms. Then based on whatever you put in it. So you have a separate margin account and you need to deposit funds into it. So you're saying you're creating an intent that I'm going to do this for margin trading. Now here's where it gets kind of confusing for people. The amount that they'll allow you to do for margin trading varies by the crypto. Some cryptos, they'll allow you to do a little bit more on the margin. Some cryptos, they don't. How much they allow you to borrow mostly depends on the type of crypto, the type of collateral that you're using for cryptocurrency. I'm not going to bore you with the nuts and bolts of it, but I saw weird inconsistencies with which ones they allowed you to do and not do. Like for example, USD Tether, you know, it's like 10x. You can basically go up to 10 times whatever you had, but with Bitcoin, it was like zero. Okay, well, it is what it is. But once you get that done and then you, you request a loan from it and you can set the interest rate and then you commit to pay back and then it'll tell you your 
risk, your debt. The risk and or debt is misleading because it assumes a payback that hasn't needed to happen yet. So there's a term for a period of time that you, you'll need to pay this back. So if you took $50, let's say as a loan, there's a period of time and they'll tell you what that is. It changes, but they'll tell you what that is for you to pay it back. Usually it's like 30 days, sometimes 60 days, but usually it's like 30 days. And then of course, as long as you make good on it, you're fine. But the way they present that debt, it'll basically means your risk is way up here and it's really not. Your risk is low because you haven't done anything yet. Risk is attributed when you do something with something. There's no risk if you haven't done, if you haven't taken action. Like think of it this way. If I know that there's a house and it's got no lights in front of it and I choose to break into the house, I'm not advocating you do, I'm just saying. If I, the decision to break in creates the risk. If I see the house from a distance, there's no risk yet because I haven't decided to do anything. If that makes sense. So with this whole business of margin, just because you took a loan, your risk has not started just because you took a loan. Your risk would start if you spend on that loan. So they'll present it as you're now, your debt's like 80, 60, 70, 80, 90%. And they really want you to be like at 30, 40. And so you're freaking, but the truth is you haven't created any risk yet because you haven't spent any of this. There's a temptation to, because of course it's quote free money, but nothing's happened. You haven't done anything yet. So it's important that you separate what the interface tells you versus what's true. You haven't realized any risk until you transact. Once you transact, the risk starts. That's the first. You go on the interface, there's a separate interface, and I'm picking on KuCoin, but there's a separate interface for margin trading versus regular trading. In the margin trading, you can pay back the loan. So let's say you trade into Bitcoin and it jumps to the point that you pretty much got your money back. So you of this $50, you put $25 in there, your profit's $25. Okay, great. Now you can basically pay the loan back. Great. You net zero, no profit over top of it. That's basically what margin trading is doing is you're using essentially other people's money in the hopes that it's going to appreciate to where you can then pay the loan back and realize the profit. If you think about, if you're on the stock side and you think about options, it's actually very similar. In options, depending on your option strategy, one of those strategies is that you're hoping that the price of the stock goes up and you're buying at a price that's low and you're buying a hundred of X in the hopes that the price goes up because you want to profit. It's a very similar strategy. The reason I talked you through that, not just for education about margins in general, but when you think about what that's doing, we're very little different from the way the stock market behaves. We just call them different things. Once you wrap your head around the fact that this is possible now, it means that you can't necessarily trust price movement as reliably as you might want to, because what could happen is you've got a bunch of people that are buying on margin, which means they're buying with other people's money. And if that price tanks, which we see with Bitcoin now, those people get into a, what's called a short position. So as the price is down, they owe money because you got to not only pay it back, but you're at a loss or unrealized loss. I told you there's a finite period that they've got to pay that loan back. If they don't pay it back within the time, then those positions get liquidated. They're going to be in a short position. They're going to be owing money into it. 
But for the price movement, then what happens? Your Bitcoin or whatever starts jumping because they liquidated it. And we got profit out of it because they had to pay stuff back. And they had to pay what they were short. This means that as Bitcoin gets more and more ingrained in this whole, you know, stock equivalent treatment, it means that the price volatility, it'll never solve. We'll never get away from it. And it also means that other coins that get on exchanges are going to be a subject to that same, because you can really do that with any coin that the exchange supports. You can short any of these coins that are allowed. Some of them have different levels of shorting, but there's always a shorting once it gets on an exchange. So what's the alternate option? The alternate option is the coin stays away from the exchanges, which is how Affinity acts, Affinity BSC, who I covered, go back to that episode. And they stay in the decentralized where there's not an official shorting process. There's an unofficial one that I'm not going to talk about here. The challenge there is you don't have the awareness. You don't have the people. You don't have the, the money. There's not enough to generate holders because you're not exposed to where the money really is. The people and the money are in the exchanges, period. They're not in the descend. So because they're not in the descend, it's harder for a token to grow if it just says no exchange is deep, deep, deep. However, when they get on exchanges, they are, they're accepting that volatility. They're, they're embracing it. It has to be a thing because you're going to, you're giving more freedom with how those coins are used within the exchange, which can have an impact on price movement, however temporary. It also means that tokens that are on exchanges, even if the token ultimately doesn't have anything else going for it, like Keanu, it also means that they have an opportunity at some point to not revive, but at least generate profit, even though it's essentially a dead token because it was never removed from the ability to do these trades. I thought it was interesting to think about it's not just on the regular trading side where we see volatility. It's not even on the descent side where we see volatility, certainly not. But also as they get on exchanges, we have a level of volatility that gets introduced primarily because we allow that on the exchange because they want to trade it kind of like stock. And it's basically stock options in a simpler form with a different term put in front of it. Whether that's a good or bad thing is not for me to say, but it's something to think about when you're creating a portfolio of different projects. The question about whether it's on an exchange or not should come first forefront in your mind. You should want to think about if it's not on an exchange and never has a plan to be, you have to be okay with the level of growth not being where you might think it should go because the people aren't there versus ones that are actively trying to get on exchanges. And the more exchanges they get on, the more volatility until it hits a point of saturation like SHIB. SHIB is on almost every exchange at this point but it doesn't have anywhere near the level of volatility you might expect. But because it doesn't have the level of volatility you might expect, it also means your potential to become a millionaire is pretty much null and void. If that makes sense, you have to think of it different now when you're evaluating the projects and their priority, which is why it's important to do investigation as to what is your plan? Why do you exist? What is your plan? What do you plan to do in the future? Tell me about it. And your roadmap is a good start, but you need to go into details. Don't say I'm getting on a top exchange. We don't know what that means. What is your plan once you get there? And how do you plan to increase holder count? Because at some point, we hope that the holder count gets to a level where the volatility is not in play. To give you a picture of why that's important, Satama has over 300,000 holders. And yet it's just as volatile as if it didn't. 
So that tells you that Satama needs way more holders in order to stabilize it better against the kind of formal disruption that we've been seeing recently. And I'm just picking on them as an example. It also means that tokens like Perinu, they're a token who screw up and they ignore smoke and don't want advice. They're subject to being dropped because people don't believe in it. It's not performing. And they're on an exchange. They're on XT.com and it hasn't helped them. So that means something different has to be done. And the investors have to think about presence on an exchange versus not and whether it matters for the token or did a token get on an exchange early, which is always good, but then they never have gone that next level and they're not standing out and they're not performing. Does that mean you don't trust them? Does that mean you don't invest? Or maybe you do and you sit on it for five years and maybe that's your strategy, that you're okay with it. You're okay with the volatility. You know it'll sort out. You're okay with low volume. You know it'll increase and you're just a long-time holder. Many people are not long-time holders. They expect at least within a year that there's some sort of return. That's perfectly acceptable. But when we have margin trading in the mix, it means volatility necessarily has to happen. So as long as you're not patient around the volatility and the shifts and you're not willing to tolerate it, your investment strategy gets kind of sketchy and that's kind of the point. Hopefully that's been informational and helpful. I'm going to, again, have my first hopeful guest uh, recording happening tomorrow and then I'll need to splice it into the episode and hopefully I can get that out same day because I'm really excited to talk to him. Do check in on that one because I think it's going to be very informational and enlightening for that one. And then, of course, we've got some another the token. I'll be recording that one hopefully on Sunday if that one goes through. And that one I'm really excited, like I said before, because they seem like they want the smoke and I love tokens that want the smoke. But for now, that's what I got for you. And underdog tokens will continue. But as I, I have guests, I wanted to give time for prepare and informational updates, which I haven't done in a while. And I will be doing more underdog tokens. Fortunately, many of them are blatant scams out the gate, so I can ignore them. But there's one that's kind of come to the forefront that I will be covering probably in Monday's episode, I'm guessing. So keep an ear out for that as well. 